Morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and it's Tuesday, February 13th. On this date in 1935, a verdict in what was then billed as the crime of the century. A jury convicted Bruno Richard Hauptmann of first-degree murder in the kidnapping and killing of the 20-month-old son of aviator Charles Lindbergh and his wife, Anne. Hauptmann was later executed. And on this date in 2000, the very final Peanuts comic strip ran in Sunday newspapers. That was the day after cartoonist Charles Schultz died at 77. For your Morning Y'all trivia question, on this date in 1961, Frank Sinatra unveiled his own record label. It would go on to release recordings by the Beach Boys, Jimi Hendrix, and the Kinks. What was the name of that record label? I'll tell you in just a couple of minutes. But first, let's have a look at that Tuesday forecast over at the Live 5 First Alert Weather Center. And good Tuesday morning to you. A cold front pushed through overnight. The wind has picked up. It will be a gusty morning into work as you head out on the roads. Be mindful of that, especially on our bridges and overpass. It will be a day where we cool down this morning, then we warm back up a little bit. Low to mid-60s for highs this afternoon. But as the sun sets this evening, that wind will be turning lighter. And as a result, we'll start out a little chilly on your Valentine's Day morning in the upper 30s and low 40s, around 63 tomorrow afternoon. We'll be near 70 then Thursday Friday kicks off seaweed will be at 68 and dry. Then we may see a couple of showers Saturday. Right now looks mainly dry on Sunday. Highs a little cooler in the upper 50s to around 60 this weekend. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast. Powered by the Low Country's news leader, Live 5 News. Now, let's get to your morning headlines. We now know the name of the person suspected of opening fire inside a megachurch in Houston. Authorities say it was 36-year-old Janice Marino who walked into the church with an AR-15 and her 7-year-old son and started shooting before she was killed by an off-duty officer. Her son and a 57-year-old man were hurt in the incident. It's unclear who fired the shot that hit the child. Police say after she was shot, Marino claimed to have a bomb, though no explosives were found. Investigators are still working to determine a motive, but they say they found anti-Semitic writings connected to Marino and a sticker that said Palestine on her gun. New this morning, crews with the Onda McClellanville Fire Department responded to a house fire late last night. Officials say it was an abandoned home on Sally Gale for Galeyard off of Six Mile Road in unincorporated Mount Pleasant. Mount Pleasant fire crews assisted in putting out the heavy fire. We've reached out to learn more about what led up to the incident. The Charleston Police Department wants your help identifying two women suspected of robbing a grocery store. Take a good look at your screen. These are the two women police are looking for. Officers believe they participated in an armed robbery at the Charleston Publix downtown on Sunday evening. If you know who these women are or if you have any information, you can call police at 843-720-2422. All right, well, flooding is a recurring issue, and we see here in the Low Country, particularly in downtown Charleston, and officials throughout the area are working to combat the problem. Today, leaders with the city of Charleston will discuss funding for a plan to assess, assess different flood risks and take action to fix this. Autumn Klein joins us live from downtown Charleston to tell us about the latest on the plan and its impact. Good morning, Autumn. Good morning, Nick and Katie. The city of Charleston has partnered with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to implement a three-year study that will address flooding issues in the area. Today, the city will be weighing in on that first $400,000 of the study to initiate year one. 
The study will cost in total about $3 million. They are using this feasibility study to look at the entire city and assess what they can do about the inland stormwater and tidal flooding risks. Once these risks are determined, they plan to recommend projects that will include drainage, tidal management, and natural-based solutions like green infrastructure that can contain water or using wetlands and tidal creeks as a way to decrease the impact of flooding issues. They are looking to manage the direction of flood water as it is inevitable in an effort to decrease the impact it has on the daily life of residents. The cost of the study is set to be split equally between the city of Charleston and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And today, City Council will discuss processing the request of $400,000 to kick off year one of the study, and the Army Corps will match this funding. Logan McVeigh, the chief policy advisor for the city, says this study will benefit everyone who lives in, works in, or visits Charleston because the problem of flooding is only getting worse. What we're seeing is that these events have, have started to increase in frequency, especially the tidal and inland flooding. And so what residents can expect to see is options that will help alleviate some of the burdens of that, blocking how kids get to school every day, how people get to work, how first responders get to and from accidents and emergencies and to hospitals and critical infrastructure like that, finding ways to divert this water and control it as it becomes a part of our daily life. Today's meeting to discuss this flood risk study and the new funding is set to begin at 5 p.m. here at City Hall. McVeigh says that he knows they will need help from their partners to make that this happen, but they do plan to address quality of life issues and keeping residents safe and the things that they do have funding for. Live in downtown Charleston, Autumn Klein, Live 5 News. The State Department of Social Services is making strides to help with your child's early education. South Carolina is battling high turnover within early education programs, but the new SC Boost program aims to curb it. Eligible child care providers can now get $1 to $2,000 every six months thanks to funding from the American Rescue Plan Act. The money goes directly to those working with the children each and every day. A group of workers officials say often go unnoticed. You can learn more about who's eligible and how to apply for the program under this story on Live5News.com. More than 160 electric school buses are set to hit the roads here in South Carolina. It's part of $66 million the state is getting from the federal government. The first students in the Orangeburg County School District got to ride on one of those new buses yesterday alongside Congressman Jim Clyburn and Environmental Protection Agency officials who were all in town to celebrate this investment. Orangeburg County is one of 16 districts across the state slated to get some of these new buses. District leaders say while they're not quite sure just how much gas money they're going to save each year, they say the benefits out, uh, stretch beyond the savings. To have safe, clean, efficient, but also comfortable rides to and from school as those young minds prepare themselves to learn and rest their minds as they ride home. $5 billion is going toward these electric buses across the country. So far, South Carolina's allotment is third highest among all states. The Charleston County School District is facing financial challenges, including a $50 million increase in expenses. District leaders say it's due to inflation, teacher salary increases, and other adjustments. Destiny Kennedy tells us more about how leaders are addressing these challenges. There has been an emphasis on salary increases for teachers as well as classified staff because of the rising cost of living. Officials say addressing this is a priority in this budget cycle. 
For those salary increases, the district's predictions for fiscal year 2025 call for a 2% cost of living adjustment plus a step or increase. This is equivalent to $5.9 million, including benefits, which would also be done for non-teachers in 2025, 2026, and 2027. During the workshop, the Finance Committee discussed the current financial status and projections for fiscal year 2024. Currently, they project revenues for the fiscal year to be around $720 million, while expenditures are estimated to be around $711 million. They anticipate adding an additional $8.5 million to the fund balance. Despite budgeting $2.4 million over two years for financing, they believe they will not need that amount at this time. This could change once they complete the January and February update and more information becomes available. To cover the increase in expenses, the district plans to raise property taxes, which will affect landlords and businesses. There are multiple reports still needed for the fiscal year 2025 budget development process that are expected by February 28th. Along with state revenue changes for the House projection anticipated to be available by mid-March. A second workshop will be held on Monday, March 11th. Reporting in Charleston, Destiny Kennedy, Live 5 News. After the Charleston County School District hired its newest superintendent, some are raising legal questions about the contract. A group of board members say they weren't told the board chair had signed off on Anita Huggins' new contract. Attorney William Hamilton says the way the contract was approved violates a state law requiring an employment contract be recorded in the minutes of a board meeting. But a CCSD attorney says the law doesn't specifically include a superintendent contract. Hamilton is now asking the state attorney general's office to hold the board accountable for the alleged violations. Some activists are claiming the list of 155 books allegedly containing obscene material that was sent to Dorchester School District 2 officials. They say that targets minority authors. The original complainant who sent the book list and a few others say that's far from the truth. Meanwhile, the group of education activists urged the complainants to read the books in their entirety to actually understand the full context of the material. They also believe the list was sent in as a way to restrict content about people in black and LGBTQ plus communities. It's part of a larger process of getting rid of diverse topics for, for students. And so I feel we should have, we should have these diverse books that uh, are about all of the students that make up the district and not just some. You can find the full list of books sent to the district under this web story on life5news.com. A downtown Charleston business owner is sharing concerns about riding on sidewalks and it's reigniting debates over bike lanes. Bubby's Cookies owner Harris Cohen says that he sometimes counts up to 25 bicyclists riding on sidewalks in front of his store. That's illegal under a city ordinance unless the bicyclist is under 12 years old or the adjacent street has a speed limit of 35 miles per hour or higher. Cohen says he fears this is keeping businesses away, pushing them towards areas that are more accessible for shoppers. He's asking for more enforcement of the ordinance, saying what's in place now isn't enough. Any hurdle that you put in their way not to come downtown, they're not going to. And we're seeing the effects of that. City officials tell us they're actively working on a plan to make King Street safer for pedestrians, but there's no timeline on its next update. 
Repairs on one of two water main breaks that shut down Charleston roads will take a little bit longer. On Highway 61, a Friday afternoon break caused a lane shut down for the weekend, but it was quickly fixed. A second major break, you see it here on your screen, left Ford Johnson Road on James Island closed early Saturday afternoon. Officials say of the 150 water main breaks they see each year, this one is on the larger end, which is causing heavy damage and pavement caving. They are asking for patience, and they say the road will be closed for two to three more days. You can learn how to save a life at an adult hands-on hands CPR event happening this weekend. Live 5's Tiana Maxwell joins us live from James Island. So, Tiana, tell us a little bit more about why this is so important. Good morning. The Center for Disease Control says over 300,000 people die in the United States every year. Oh, my goodness. 60 to 80 percent of which die before even reaching the hospital. Sudden cardiac arrest can happen to anyone. And those at James Island Emergency aims to teach hands-only CPR to the community. Hands-only CPR is a non-mouth-to-mouth method of rescue, using only your hands to push on someone's heart to get more oxygenated blood flow to the parts of the body that needs it. What we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we're giving them, you're giving them the best chance at survival by continuing that, the, uh, use the oxygenated blood that they already have in their body to get it to their brain to keep that brain alive. Fair says that they want to expose as many people as possible to do hands-only CPR. The goal is for people to know what to do during an emergency in their home, work, or community. The hands-only CPR event is from 10 a.m. to noon on Saturday at the James Island Emergency. The event is free and can be found to register on our website, live5news.com. On James Island, Tiana Maxwell, Live 5 News. At the beginning of the show, I told you that on this date in 1961, Frank Sinatra unveiled his own record label. Remember the name? You're right if you said reprise. Celebrating birthdays today, actress Kim Novak is 91. Actor Bo Svensson from Walking Tall is 83. Actress Stockard Channing is 80. Singer Peter Gabriel is 74, and actor David Naughton, who you might remember from those I'm a Pepper, Dr. Pepper commercials from the late 70s and early 80s, turned 73. Stay safe, and thank you again for joining us for Morning Y'all from Live 5 News. I'm Katie Kamen. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Morning Y'all is produced every weekday morning. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And download the Live 5 News app for your mobile device. Get the latest news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.